This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Godot Podcast. I'm Jack Fritchley for Wahoo's 24-7. Now, we have a special guest today to recap the Virginia and Maryland game and talk about our biggest takeaways of the season so far. But before we get Greg Medea on the show, why don't you go ahead and like this video, like our channel, and click on the bell so that you're notified whenever a new video is posted on YouTube. But also, if you can go ahead and review and rate us on Apple and Spotify, that way we can also grow this show and continue to produce um, a podcast as well. So let's get right to it. Virginia losing to Maryland 42-12 to in a game that had the same storylines for Virginia. Missed opportunities. They hurt themselves in the end. And also a game that saw a fourth quarter that Virginia would like to forget. So here with us to break down the game is Greg Medea from The Daily Progress. Greg, thank you so much for joining us on the phone. Yeah, happy to do it, Jackie. Now, Greg, um, like me, you've gone to you went to Tennessee to see the opener. You were at the game against JMU, and then you were at Maryland to watch that game as well. Um, this is definitely a team that we've kind of expected. The margin of error is very, very small. What is something that you've taken away so far from the first three games of the year? I think first. Uh, just looking at the defense, I'm I'm a little surprised at, at how the defense has struggled uh, early on like they have. Uh, John Rodzinski's group was the strength of, of Virginia's team last year, and they held opponents to 24 points per game in 2022. Uh, it's not been the case this year. Gave up 40-plus uh, in the opener against Tennessee, 42 uh, Friday night to Maryland, 36 to James Madison. Uh, it's... Uh, it's it's been a struggle for that group, I, and it's it's surprising given how given how much they have back, particularly on the defensive line. Right, uh, that group was is veteran, it's senior led, and it was supposed to be uh, the group that that kind of anchored the defense. And it, it's been a struggle. They averaged three sacks per game in 2022. The Virginia defense, uh, they've got three through three games this year. Cam Butler has two and a half of those three sacks, so he's played well but they haven't gotten the production out of that defensive line that they probably thought they were going to get. Uh, add in some of the, the moving parts in the secondary, uh, whether it's, it's injury or having to replace two former All-ACC corners, and it's been it's been a little bit of a struggle in the early going for that Virginia defense, and that's, that's somewhat surprising because of, of how well they played at times uh, last season. On the flip side, I think, uh, Virginia fans are starting to see some encouraging things from, from the offense and, and what Tony Elliott and Des Kitchings want to do, right? It was such a transition year last year that uh, a lot a lot was not right with the offense a season ago, particularly at the quarterback spot. Um, and, and this year, I know they've had to play a true freshman in, in Anthony Calandria. And he's been, you know, you had the fourth quarter that wasn't great at Maryland. 
the interception, the end zone, uh, the start of that fourth quarter was, was tough and, and, uh, probably, probably was the game breaker, right? That, that flipped it, that didn't flip the game, but, uh, sealed the Cavaliers' fate that they weren't going to win the game, uh, had a chance to tie, uh, tried to fit it into Malik Washington, who's been so reliable for Virginia. He's been excellent as a transfer from Northwestern at the receiver position, tried to connect with Washington one more time and, and Maryland's Tar Heap still stepped in front of it and picked off the pass and, and then Maryland was off and running and things spiraled for Virginia, uh, in that fourth quarter against the Terps. Uh, but I think overall you're seeing some some creativity on offense. The way they've gotten Kobe Pace involved in the passing game, they've used Sedarian Harrison, a speedy freshman. Uh, like I said, Washington's been a, a nice plus for Virginia. Malachi Fields has been uh, outside of the drop he had in the second half at Maryland that could have been a touchdown uh, has been pretty good uh, for, for UVA. Uh, I think they've, they've done a little bit more on offense. It'll be interesting to see if they can uh, keep – uh, some of the uh, positive things they've done the last two weeks against JMU and Maryland uh, going when, when Tony Musket returns uh, as the quarterback. Yeah, Tony Musket uh, was day-to-day since his injury from Tennessee. We initially heard that it was two to three weeks for him to return. So this is a timeline of expectation that he'll be back for the NC State game. So we'll see if uh, Musket will be back under center for the Cavaliers. But if you're on YouTube right now, the stats from the game against Maryland where Virginia lost 42-14 is now on your screen. And we're going to touch a little bit about what you said, Greg, first. On offense, yes, the offense has certainly showed some flashes. Um, you mentioned Malik Washington. He had 141 yards on nine catches. Um, that has been that he was the leading receiver for Maryland. And even Coach Loxley in his postgame presser was first to talk about Malik Washington when talking about Virginia. He highlighted that he was one of the receivers on Virginia's roster that really impressed him. So uh, Malik Washington certainly one of those transfers that has had a great impact for UVA down the stretch. Now also. Brian Stevens, that was someone that I felt had a tremendous impact in the game against Maryland because Virginia made the decision, which is the right decision after the first two games, is moving Brian Stevens to center and then tight furnish at right guard. And with that, they were able to move the ball a little bit better, um, move the chains. Anthony Colandrea looked like he had more time with his passes. And when you looked at pro football focus, um, when they graded out the game, Brian Stevens was one of the best at both run blocking and pass protection. And actually, two weeks ago, oh yeah, against JMU, he was also second on team for pass protection. So Brian Stevens, like Malik Washington, seems to be one of the transfers that Virginia um, chose well and was able to get someone that filled a necessity. Um, and now, you know, it, it's paying dividends for them. So yeah, Brian Stevens and Malik Washington were two guys that highlighted. Obviously, Anthony Colandrea. That was a, one of the things that we were worried about. That fourth quarter was definitely something that you're concerned when it comes to a freshman quarter. doesn't mean that he's a bad quarterback. I think he's actually a really good quarterback and still showing tremendous talent. But with the game on the line, he was trying to do a little bit too much. And even he admitted it. You know, Tony Elliott and Des Kitchen said that when he went uh, to the sideline, he said that he should have ran the ball. And that's something that the coaches said they liked about Calandrea was that he understood what was wrong and they didn't have to explain it into detail. Um, but again, the offense showing some good glimpses. Now, running the ball is still a problem. They only had 91 yards rushing against Maryland. Um, that's still something that they need to kind of hold in and be more consistent about. But r- running is definitely something that is still something where Virginia needs to improve on. Um, and the pre-snap penalties. Again, they're, they're hurting themselves by doing those errors and extending drives. 
But on defense, I think the issue, Greg, is mostly injuries. I mean, when you look at it, Antonio Clary has been out all year. That's affected their safety room. So Lex Long, who's going to be at linebacker, now is at safety. Then he got hurt during the game against Maryland. And then you have Stevie Bracey, who didn't look like he was available for that game against Maryland. So you have Cam Robinson taking a lot of those reps, um, another freshman. Then you have Caleb Hardy coming in at safety as a fresh. And you have Dre Walker, who came in at corner after they had already switched Sam Westfall from Malcolm Green um, at that corner position. And then you look at that defensive line. You have Sue Angunloe, who's out for the year. And now you have Jason Hammond coming in, a freshman coming in to help. Chico Bennett is still not 100%. And you saw... Um, Mikai Buchanan come in to help because Apollo Kiri was hurt in the beginning of that game. I mean, the depth that we expected from this D-line, Greg, just evaporated in three games. Yeah, it, it did. I mean, and that's that's nobody's fault, but it's just the reality of it. And because uh, Virginia is, is 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 struggling with the injuries, they've had to play true freshmen. And even even I, I asked Tony Elliott after the game, "Can you can you win?" playing this many true freshmen. He didn't make any excuses, but also said, you know, you'd prefer uh, not to force them to drink from the fire hydrant, so to speak. Uh, so that, that kind of tells you where, where they're at. And, and John Radzinski too, you know, he, he was, he was kind of adamant about it, it'll be exciting to see how they grow uh, throughout the season, but uh, there's also going to be, you know, some growing pains when you when you're forced to play that many true freshmen, right? You saw it with Calandria first and foremost. Makes you know makes some great throws early in the game, especially the touchdown throw he he, he had to Kobe Pace. It was rolling left to fire to the other side of the field uh, across his body. Outstanding throw by Calandria uh, to hit Kobe Pace, who was wide open for the touchdown. But then later in the game, uh, he threw the interception where it was was too tight of a window to throw it into. And then it just unraveled with a couple of more interceptions uh, to finish with three in the game, uh, all three in that fourth quarter on, th- on three consecutive passes. And the same thing with the defense, right? Uh, you see Makai Buchanan make a great tackle for the loss. I think it was in the second quarter on Roman Hemby, Maryland's standout running back. Uh, he finished with four tackles, uh, Makai Buchanan. Uh, but later in the game when, when some of those young secondary guys were in, it was Dre Walker called for a pass interference. Uh, as Maryland's trying to extend its lead to two touchdowns, um, and and that's that's something you're just going to have to live with when when you're playing young guys. They're going to make mistakes. It's it's just part of it. It's, it's why the, the game is so hard to to win if if you're playing young people. Uh, so it, it'll be uh it'll be it'll be interesting going forward to see what they do uh, and how they can shore up some of that depth. But uh, for now, it looks like at least in the immediate future, it's going to be more of the freshmen. So. Uh, I know your 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 listeners, because of all the recruiting coverage you you guys do, are are very familiar with the freshman class. But for those average Virginia fans who show up on Saturdays, it, it's probably time to start familiarizing themselves uh, with, with with the most recent recruiting class. Virginia was able to uncover a lot of good talent in this freshman, like Anthony Colandrea, like Sedarian Harrison, like Jaden Gibson. Um, you know, but when we picked guys to initially get in there and play you know the names that stuck out were Jaden Gibson um obviously Cam Robinson the four-star linebacker and then Sedarian Harrison was one that we thought could contribute rather early but 
you know, when you looked at Virginia's roster, you thought defensive linemen would be redshirted, but injuries are forcing Virginia's hands a little bit when it comes to defensive linemen. The good news is those guys are actually pretty big. Their frames are pretty big, so at least they're not going to be as pushed around as some other freshmen that you would think, like more of the tweeners in that sort of regard. Mikhail Buchanan is, is a big guy. Um, it's just, again, like what John Radzinski said when um, I asked him during um, his practice interview last Wednesday, is just getting them familiar with the playbook and just the speed of the game and just getting them used to the schemes. That's all what comes with a repetition. But moving forward, Greg, when you look at this Virginia team, they face NC State. They opened up conference play. Did you, when you go into the season and seeing them now, do you change your preseason expectation, or is this whereabouts where you expected where the team would be? You know, it, it, it's so interesting because I think they're better in certain areas, like like on offense, and they have some really good running backs that that uh, are trying and have been. And Des Kitchings, the offensive coordinator, to his credit, has used them in some creative ways, particularly in the passing game. I think all. Well, at least Kobe Pace and, and Paris Jones have been involved in the passing game. And then Mike Hollins, I think, has been running really tough when he does get his carries. Uh, and then, like I said, Washington's been good on the outside. Uh, so I, I think they're probably better on offense than they were a year ago, or at least show what uh, kind of they know what they're doing and they have a little bit more of an identity on offense. Uh, but until this defense gets shored up, and that's, that's the head scratcher, like I mentioned, uh, for, for as good as that defense was and it proved as improved as it looked uh, from 2021 to 2022 uh, with Rudzinski uh, changing things, kind of reigniting the fire in that defense. Uh, it, it hasn't been that so far this year. So until that gets shored up, until they start getting more pressure on the quarterback and allowing less in the running game, uh, that's, that, that's, that's going to be problematic, right? They got to get those two things taken care of. And then the other thing, uh, I think that that probably – uh, makes you want to lower expectations for this Virginia team is the third phase too. There's always a backbreaker on special teams. It seems like since the, the Tony Elliott tenure began, uh, and just to be frank, it, it's 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 been one special teams mistake after another. In the season opener, it was a long kickoff return that, that set up Tennessee's touchdown against James Madison. The Dukes had a, a punt blocked and they fell on it in the end zone for a touchdown. Uh, this past week, they're up 14 nothing at Maryland, and boom, Maryland returns a 98-yard uh, kickoff return for a touchdown. Uh, it just uh, not ideal for Virginia, right? You can't you can't have those issues on special teams continue. And throughout the off season, there was there was a significant commitment to special teams throughout training camp. Tony Elliott spoke about how because they they had more meeting time and players weren't running to class. Uh, through, during during training camp this year like they were a season ago. They were able to spend more time on special teams and be invested in special teams. And being at practice, we, we, you know, we got to see uh, all those special teams period they they had, all those special teams periods they had. So it's a little, little mind-boggling that it hasn't gotten right, hasn't gotten better uh, this year uh, compared to last. And, and it continues to be an issue. So they've, they've got some problems, this, this Virginia team, uh, without a doubt, and and the crazy thing is, I think they're they're probably a little bit better of a team than they were last year. Uh, but between the schedule and and some of the recurring issues, um, it's it's uh, it, it's hard to raise expectations. Been saying this since even Bronco Mendenhall was the head coach. With a with Virginia, your margin of error is always going to be so tiny um, against several of these teams that they face. 
one little thing can really spiral out of control rather quickly. You have to play clean football. You have to play complementary football. So when you look at the game against Maryland, when they were striking distance from tying, you said Anthony Calandrea had had an opportunity to throw a ball in the end zone. He got picked off there, but that was the tying touchdown. Um, they were close. They were close. 12 yards away from tying the game, they end up losing 42-14, right? Yeah. That's the beginning of the fourth quarter when Calandria throws the interception. And, you know, it's it's a play he's trying to make. He's trying to win a football game. Um, tough, tough decision. Uh, but they were 12 yards away, essentially. That snap was from the 12-yard line. 12 yards away from tying the game uh, early in the fourth quarter, end up, end up losing uh, by, by 28 points. Yeah, so that, that score doesn't really it, – it's it's strange when I'm thinking it's 42-14, but when you're watching the game, if you watch the first three quarters, you would never have guessed this discrepancy in the score between the two teams because it was a tighter contest among the first three quarters. And then even in that fourth quarter, you're looking at what's – it always ties back down to depth because Virginia has – Struggled in the fourth quarter. I think they've been outscored something to the tune of like 47 to three, um, in that fourth quarter. So it, it really goes down to depth as well, because usually in the fourth quarter, you're trying to reach into your gas tank for that last little bit for you to finish the game. And when you were lacking depth, you know, on that defensive side of the ball with all those injuries and you're relying on freshmen who's getting their first game reps, getting used to the speed of the game, everything that you expect freshmen to do, um, it's tough. So that again, it's that fourth quarter um, lag, and you know now they face ACC teams. So we're going to take a quick break, Greg, and on the way back, we'll just do a quick thing, a uh, quick little breakdown of some of the storylines looking into this week. Welcome back to the Good Old Podcast. I'm Jack French, you live for Wahoo's 24-7, and we're joined by Greg Medea from the Daily Progress. Uh, Greg, we talked a lot about the Maryland game in the first three games and what we've learned this season so far. But talk about the first ACC game for Virginia, who not only starts their conference play after three disappointing games, but, I mean, they welcome their former cornerback, Brendan Armstrong back. They welcome back their former offensive coordinator and their fo- former offensive line coach, all this band on this Friday night. What a first ACC game. Yeah, uh, no no doubt. I mean, the storylines write themselves. It's, it's kind of interesting, too, because Des Kitchings, Virginia's offensive coordinator, uh, was on NC State's offensive staff. He was a co-offensive coordinator there, a longtime position coach uh, for, for Dave Dorn in the Wolfpack. And he brought some of what he did at NC State to uh, Virginia after spending a year in the NFL with the Atlanta Falcons. And I think it's interesting because, uh, you know, the, the two teams have kind of flip-flopped identities, at least offensively, uh, in the sense that uh, Virginia's gone from air raid and what they used to do with Anai and Brennan Armstrong, slinging the ball all over the yard to, you know, run a commitment to the running game and play action, which is what, you know, NC State did a little bit when, when Des Kitchings was there. Uh, so I think it's kind of fascinating in, in that sense that, uh, the two programs have, have kind of flip-flopped in, in, in what they believe will work offensively. It obviously has everything to do with the coaching change at Virginia, uh, but even Dave Dorrance changed his philosophy to go to the air raid uh, with, with Robert and I. So it's kind of fascinating from, from that perspective. And then you throw in, uh, obviously, Brennan Armstrong's return, uh, Virginia's all-time leading passer and, and, and leader in just about every passing stat category and record. And, 
it's 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 a fascinating return uh, because his last game at, at Scott Stadium, you know, did not go well. It's a pit game where he threw two two interceptions for touchdowns on his first two throws of the ball game that and Virginia was behind 14 nothing before you know people could get comfortable in their seats so uh, kind of a you know it's, it, there's plenty to write about this week yeah, for sure. And even the non NC State storyline, you know, just the you know changes that were done uh, on Friday night for Virginia's roster. You know, we mentioned Brian Stevens at center. We mentioned Malcolm Green getting the heads up ahead of Sam Westfall in that corner position, obviously opposite of Cohen King, who's been the steady force there in the secondary. So when you look at this NC State game, are you thinking, is, is this going to be the same offensive line lineup? If Jimmy Crist is healthy, does he kind of go into this lineup? Or are they happy with the lineup that they have? That's, uh, that's certainly something that I would love to monitor um, this week. I thought Brian Stevens did, like I said, a good job at center. But would they consider Uganda not a move-in guard and Jimmy Crist, Jimmy Crist to go on that right tackle position? Um, so that's obviously something that is going to be an interesting battle for, for this week, but then also that corner position. I mean, at, at some, at, I think it was halfway through that game. That's when Dre Walker came in. I can't remember if he came second or third quarter, but Malcolm Green was, was replaced by Dre Walker, um, on that. And then Caleb Harder also had some opportunities at safety. So I'm curious to see how much more these freshmen are going to get more reps for them as this season moves forward. Greg, which is the if you look at this NC State game and this Virginia game, which is the matchup that you feel like Virginia will will need to kind of hold on to have a chance at winning? I think I think they just got to run the ball better. So really, regardless of, of what the other side and and you know NC State's interesting defensively. It's that that three three five stack that Tony Gibson used to run uh, when he was the defensive coordinator at West Virginia, taking it to NC State. It's been you know, it's kind of a tough defense to prepare for. Haven't you know? A lot of teams don't see that that three three five stack all that often. Uh, but NC State does a good job with it. Uh, so that'll be that'll be kind of fascinating uh, to to me. Can this Virginia offensive line? And it, it seems like that's that that could be your pinpoint each and every week for for UVA. Can you get enough in the running game? Can you protect the quarterback? Whether it's Calandria or Musket, uh, you know, all signs they may be pointing to, to Musket's return, uh, but uh, can you do enough to protect against that that different looking defense that you don't typically see? Uh, so that's that's interesting to me. I think that's that's key because Virginia's got to run the ball better uh, and and keep the ball away from from Brennan Armstrong a little bit, uh, even though he has not started all that great this season with the Wolfpack. Uh, I think that's 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 the most important part. You got to keep the game in your hands, maybe control time of possession a little bit, uh, and, and take it from there. So, final question for me, and then probably the most important question on this podcast, Greg. Do we see a two-quarterback system at Virginia? It's <laughs> a question you, you probably got to ask Tony <laughs> Elliott this week. I don't know. I think Calandria, the one thing that Calandria does that he's proven he can do is maneuver behind an offensive line uh, and mask some of the issues an offensive line has. Uh, so, I think that's interesting. Now, both – Elliott and Kitchings have said Musket has that in his game too. Just haven't really seen it yet. You know, the first opponent was was physically just a lot better than Virginia was, uh, and Musket really didn't get that opportunity uh, to do. And he was sacked four times before he could even read the defense. It seemed like so. If if he can show some of that, I don't know if there's a need to do that. Uh, but Calandria certainly gives you something different. 
Uh, he's fast, too, when he gets outside the pocket. And some of the on-the-move throws are, are excellent that he's made. The, the touchdown to pace against James Madison, the touchdown to pace uh, against Maryland, just excellent to keep his eyes up and make those kind of throws. Uh, really impressive. Yeah, and one of the things that we noted when Tony Muska was playing, although I feel like you said it's unfair to grade anything that Muska's done so far because he had to face Tennessee, who when we rewatched the game, you can count, it took about 2.4, 2.5 seconds to get to him <laughs> inside the pocket. So he didn't have any time to throw in that first game. Um, but when you talk about Muska, you talk about his game manager skills, and you looked at Anthony Colandrea and some of his decisions – on Friday night, and one of the things that stood out was he had the ability to know where that first down marker was and slide. He wasn't trying to be a hero at those moments. He was just trying to get the first down, and he did, I think it was two times in particular that I noticed that he looked to see where that uh, first down marker was uh, before he slid so that, you know, they were able to get the first down and move the chain. So he does have, there. There's, there's glimpses of that game manager in him, but again, it's about getting experience so that you can know a little bit more when, to, you know, there was one time where he should have thrown the ball but got sacked but then was saved from a from a Maryland penalty, a hands to the face. So the, the, they're still growing. These are all the things that you expect from a freshman. So it's just interesting, you know, I think the two quarterback system can work if you do it efficiently. It's just, it's, it's a rare thing for it to work but when it does work it it's 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 pretty good i know uh, obviously you can point to um not comparing these quarterbacks to the the quarterbacks chris lake and tim tebow i'm not going to compare to them those two but it is a, uh, some coaches are able to do a two quarterback system so maybe that is a question for tony elliott on tuesday which he will be speaking with the media uh in his weekly press conference on there and we'll have coverage on wahoo's 24 7 as well well greg thank you so much for joining us on the show to kind of talk about not only the maryland game look ahead to nc state but also so just what your uh, thoughts on the season so far. Yep, no problem, of course. Happy to do it. And thanks again for Greg for joining us on the show. I really appreciate his insight. And obviously you can follow his work at The Daily Progress. And you can follow our work at Wahoos 24-7. We'll continue to look ahead to NC State this week. And we'll look closer to that game against Maryland. We'll also have a, look, a couple more stories lined up. I'm working on a long-form feature for Thursday where the question is about the roster that Tony Elliott inherited and all the changes uh, with transfers, transfer coming in, transfer coming out. So I'm going to be diving deeper into the roster for a feature on Thursday. So expect that on the site um, then. And, of course, we'll have game coverage from that Friday night game against NC State. We'll be back here on Thursday to preview the game against the pack someone from pack pride on the show as well so we can preview the game so we'll know a little bit more how M. brendan armstrong is doing and what changes they have seen under robert anai's offense so all that is coming both here and also on wahoo's 24 7 so for greg Mendia, i'm jacka Franchili, and i hope you guys have a great rest of your monday 